Do you know what time it is? It's time for the Workforce Show, where you will learn the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM. Hello, and welcome to the Cyber Edition of the Workforce Show. I'm Jeremy Haas, and I'm here with my co-host, uh, Olga Polishchuk. Hi, everybody. Uh, in this program, we talk about a variety. Uh, we talk with a variety of guests about the field of cyber and careers in cyber. Uh, as we've talked about in the past, cyber is a very diverse field, and it's uh, much more than just information technology or engineering, and that's uh, uh, one of the reasons I'm excited to have the guests that we have today. Uh, today, we have uh, Chris Gubeshka. Uh, she's CEO of Hippasec, which is a, a company that's uh, co-located in the UK, London, and Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and uh, has an extremely fascinating background. Um, so I, I know that your role as, as CEO of Hippasec is just one of the many things that you're doing, and, and I, I think it's important context for our audience to hear a little bit about some of the other things that you're actively involved in, and then at that point, we can talk uh, about some of your, your interesting background and some of the insights that you've gained from your background, perhaps advice you'd have for others that are looking to emulate a career such as yours. So, so Chris, so what are some of the other things that, that you're, you're involved in? Well, we'll t- how, about, how about this? How about um, starting, tell us a little bit about HIPASEC and then, and then some of the other things that you're involved in. Certainly. Uh, HIPASEC is a combination between uh, two words, uh, uh, Hypatia, which was the first uh, female documented mathematician and a professor at the University of Alexandria back in the day, and security. And some of the things that I'm involved in is advising several governments and parliaments on how to set strategy for cyber warfare and also including cyber into their national defense strategies as well. And so that's HIPASEC, but I know I know you're involved in a number of you know information security, cyber type of community activities. You can give us you know share a little bit about about that as well. Uh, yes, I work on several cases of corruption, uh, human trafficking, and also cyber terrorism events with a variety of groups and individuals uh, from Bellingcat to Europol and Interpol and other governments. And then, and then you're a, you're a speaker, a writer. Um, you do quite a bit of that activity as well. Uh, yes, I just recently wrote a new uh, book that I'm testing out for a workshop this Saturday, uh, which will then be published commercially uh, with my favorite uh, hacker in the world on the front cover, which is Vladimir Putin. Can, can you tell us what the book is about? Uh, yes, it is looking at digital security across IT, IoT, and ICS SCADA systems and uh, looking at the offensive nature of taking advantage of web applications that happen to run on these different types of technology. And that also includes everything from your regular computer system to an airplane to a satellite and space IoT systems as well as maritime. So, so I know you have a fascinating background. Can, can you can you share a little bit about that, and then and then maybe from there we can we can leverage off and or branch off into some other topics. Yeah, how did how did you get into cyber? Well, uh, 
I was a bit uh, lucky in that respect, uh, one might say. I was uh, with my mother, who was a robotics programmer on assembly lines for car manufacturing. And she was a single mother, um, Puerto Rican, and uh, had not lived in the mainland United States for very long. She did not have very much money, and so she used to bring me into work instead of a babysitter. And at about the age of five, she would sit me in front of a computer, back then it was a green screen, and started teaching me a computer programming language called BASIC. And I became absolutely infatuated with the fact that I could create something virtually, and it was something that was mine. And whatever I typed into the computer, if I did it correctly, it returned an output to me that I expected and was completely different from regular human beings. So I quite enjoyed that. Uh, unfortunately, I uh, misused some of my talents, and when I was 10, I was uh, caught red-handed breaking into part of the U.S. government and Department of Justice. But when I was 18, uh, the U.S. Air Force uh, kindly recruited me into uh, several roles. Where did your career take you after that? Uh, well, when I was in the Air Force, I was a military aviator for my first career. And then after I was injured in the line of duty, I worked for Space Command. And I handled the security portion of uh, command and control systems for a space operations center. A bit different from your regular SOC. Uh, it involves space weather, uh, moving our vulnerable assets out of the way of possible EMPs from the sun and different things like that to maintain visibility around the world. So, so it... So in your aviation role, there was not much of a cyber um, component, or was there? There was. I ended up, uh, when you first start out as an enlisted aviator, you have to have a bit of a day job on the side. And my day job was setting up one of the first file server systems for the Air Force outside of a mainframe for my squadron, the 21st Airlift Squadron, and our sister squadron, the 22nd. And then when you went into the space operations, was there more of a cyber component to that? Absolutely. And uh, we also, at the time, because of the location, it was called Buckley uh, Air Force Base, uh, we tested out some of the first uh, network crypto equipment from companies like Cisco and so forth uh, before there was an actual uh, official cyber component for the U.S. Air Force. And then, and then is that how you finished off your, your Air Force career? Yes, and then what happened? Uh, then I became a disaster recovery and business continuity planner uh, with a concentration on hazardous material on various transport systems, such as railroads, and planning in small uh, municipalities, places that didn't have proper cleanup procedures or personnel. Uh, in many cases, these cargo uh, rail systems are going through very, very small towns that at best maybe have a volunteer fire department. And if a car stalls out, uh, that can be a very bad thing. So I did a, a lot of work in that particular area. And I know in your biography and your Wikipedia article as well, um, a lot of emphasis <laughs> is placed on your um, um, on your involvement with Aramco. I know it's such a it's such a pivotal moment in um, cybersecurity history. Um, could you talk a little bit if you're you know if you're if you can, about your experience with that. Absolutely. Uh, what happened in 2012 was a very pivotal moment in cyber history, one could say, because it was the first time that in uh, our modern human history that we risked actually being brought back into what I would call the Bronze Age collapse situation. 
And uh, it was a very bad cyber warfare attack executed by the Iranians, which wiped out about 85% of Saudi Aramco's Windows and IT infrastructure, causing a uh, halt in some of the loading of refined petrol or gasoline, as you say, and uh, also started running down the entire country's strategic supply. At about uh, week two, when they were almost out of refined materials because they could not move the materials, uh, partially because their payment systems and their IoT automatic loading systems were down, uh, they finally started uh, handing out free gasoline just to try to get the company or the company and the country moving again. Otherwise, it was uh, turning very dire where you could call an ambulance and they would say, hey, we'd love to send somebody, but we don't have any gasoline to send it. And uh, at the same time, um, about 13 days after the initial attack, the national oil company Qatar, Razgas, was also affected. And at that particular moment, about 39% of the world's energy uh, was at major risk of being halted or slowed down. So that was uh, obviously a very, very large problem that could have wiped out uh, multiple countries' uh, economies and affected everything from the things that you're looking at right now to your food supply because of fertilizer, uh, medical supplies, and so forth. So... um, It it was uh, an event that I will never forget, and I'm very thankful that uh, Ramco hired me, which I was completely not expecting, and they also gave me enough budget and uh, allowed me a lot of leeway to be able to hire my, basically my A-team, and then reconnect their international business operations and get them moving again. So I know we've talked about this um, before. I I think it's a fascinating experience. Um, but you lived in Saudi Arabia for a while. Yes. And and how how long was that? What, and you know, interested just to maybe not talk about, you know, if there's anything interesting from a cyber perspective about 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 living there or or at least working in an you know is you know an extremely large company. Yeah, it, it was a very large company, and uh, one thing that you don't hear much about from the Middle East is there's a lot of these different types of cyber attacks that affect uh, critical infrastructure on a uh, infrastructure on a fairly regular basis. I have a friend who just came back from Saudi dealing with some of the security teams there, and he said, "Wow, I didn't imagine before I went there, but what they see in a week, most people in digital defense don't even see in their lifetime." So there is a lot that goes on. What about um, cybersecurity talent in the region? Is there a shortage of such? Uh, Yes, there is. It's still a bit slow moving. Most of the universities still concentrate on petroleum engineering. And only recently, the country of Saudi Arabia in 2018 signed a memorandum of understanding with Stanford and another university to start bringing in more cybersecurity programs. And then... then, um... Oh, is there anything more you want to say about uh, Saudi Aramco? Um, just the. Um, I, don't, I don't want to transition past <laughs> that too too fast because there's, you know, there. Well, it's it. I must say it's a very interesting company because it's also the backbone of uh, the of Saudi Arabia. They provide a lot of different services and fundings for the majority of hospitals, police stations, universities. But at the same time, they're under constant attack. And before I worked there, I had never thought that I would uh, experience something at such a high um, threat profile level uh, until I uh, 
started joining the team. And you have financial crimes, you've got um, insider threats, you've got cyber warfare, you've got hacktivists, and everything in between every day, every single day. Do you, th- do you think what um, Saudi Arabia is seeing in terms of critical infrastructure is perhaps indications and warnings for others globally? Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that's been quite concerning is uh, some of the drone attacks that have been occurring. Uh, back in 2014, uh, in The Hague, we actually started experiencing uh, surveillance drone attacks funded by a particular nation state through another embassy. And now that's gotten worse, uh, unfortunately, where some of the drones coming over the Yemen border have been loaded up with explosives to take out certain parts of the pipeline infrastructure to start affecting the oil price. As uh, the rebels believe that it's a defensive mechanism, but of course the rest of the world has to look at the stability of the oil market and wonder, well, are we going to have uh, fruits and vegetables at the same price next year, or is fertilizer going to go sky high because uh, 5% of the oil has been halted? So it's something that uh, there's a lot of what I would say, proxy wars that occur in certain parts of Northern Africa and the Middle East. But now, because of the way it's affecting such a major company, it's now on the forefront and in the news. And I do think that it will be more and more indicative. So I know you've kind of experienced cyber from different angles. I know you're also an OSINT um, expert. Yes. Um, so having, you know, reflecting on all different variations of information security angles that you've seen, What is your current definition of cyber? Well, I would say cyber to me is anything that is digital security related because we've pretty much moved past uh, the analog world at this particular point. And we also have to think about uh, the word cyber even in space. So for example, about a week and a half ago, I did a presentation for Cambridge University on responsible innovation for cybersecurity in new space assets because we now have industrial IoT systems that you can find, unfortunately, on the internet sometimes, which are satellite systems. And uh, those types of systems are very important for navigation for air and maritime, as well as uh, visibility, uh, payment systems, getting uh, news and media out across the world, and in some areas, high-speed internet access. So, so for someone who is wanting to get into cyber, um, do you, I mean, do you, do you, what, what kind of advice would you have for them? Because, you know, hearing a little bit about your story, you, you know, you had influence from your mother and then there seemed to be uh, several accidents along the way (laughs) and, and, and now you're, you're in a role and, um, that I don't know if you could have predicted that you would you would be where you are, and um, so you know for those that are maybe wanting to do something a bit more predictable, what what are your thoughts there? Well, something more predictable, I would say cybersecurity is not very predictable, which makes it fun and exciting. And I would say it's one of the funner uh, parts of uh, the STEM career track. 
And there's a lot of different ways to get in. I happen to know a librarian who uh, now works for the security team for the New York Times, uh, who concentrated a lot on human, uh, the human portion of OSINT. Uh, but there are many different ways and tracks that you can actually get into the cyber-ish career field. Um, I do recommend trying to look at low-cost, no-cost um, training because some of the higher end stuff, it's very discouraging if you can't afford, say, $7,000 for one week of training from someone. You can also accomplish a whole lot by setting up a home lab and using lots of virtualization either locally or in the cloud, reading a lot and going to community conferences like B-Sides Nova, B-Sides DC, and other community uh, meetups as well to start meeting local people and start talking about your interests. And then uh, figure out which areas you seem more inclined towards and then start concentrating on those. And um, you, you mentioned that you are involved in some educational um, initiatives. Is that what brings you to the U.S. this week? Uh, partially. I am starting to work with Cybrary, uh, which is a uh, lower-cost training uh, facility. And also, the main reason I'm here is to attend a workshop and be part of the German Marshall Fund's um, uh, workshop for the joint uh, response for the EU and U.S. Uh, for any sort of nation-state cyber malicious activities. And we'll be having that conference next week. Great. Are any of your talks or courses um, available online for our listeners to access? Yes. So quite a few of them are available online via various YouTube channels. And one of these days, I'll actually put them all together in one place. That'd be fantastic. Yes. yes. Are there are there any other specific resources that you would that you've you found effective, or that you know other people have found effective? I mean, we, we um, I mean, that's one part of the question, and the other the other part is, you know, how how do you feel about um, some of the options available through formal education or uh, like industry certifications? Like, what's what, what's your view on that? Those well, uh, if you can get a reasonably priced community college course, especially, you can get a lot more hands-on technical courses versus, say, a larger university, which tends to be a lot more, say, theoretical for, versus applied. Um, but there are some good university programs out there as well. And there are some pretty good certifications that will get you started. Uh, I think one of the first certifications I got was an A plus and then a networking plus uh, certification. And then I started moving forward from there and following various tracks. And uh, yes, uh, there definitely are uh, valid reasons to get certain certifications and uh, definitely look to your community college and those types of resources. Do you feel like any of the certifications are overhyped, perhaps? Some of them are. Yes, I do. Some of them are both overhyped and very overpriced, mm, and right. that's a bit <laughs> unnecessary. And it just it, it keeps that um, shortage ongoing if you can't afford to basically buy a car instead of a week's worth of training. You you mentioned uh, assembling an A-team when you when the Saudi Aramco work um, became um, necessary. What do, what do you look for in teammates or colleagues in terms of skill sets or, you know, uh, other, other softer skills? What, what 
Well, I look to see if they're good at uh, communicating. I also see if they have a home lab set up or something in the cloud, where their passions lie. If they're very, very passionate about what they're doing, then they will always uh, be willing to learn and to go above and beyond, and the willingness to also work on side projects that are related. And those, uh, that particular combination has worked for me quite a bit. And how important do you think um, uh, engagement in the community and attending conferences and speaking engagements, what, what role do you think it plays in developing continued education for somebody in cyber? Well, it's a great idea. You get to meet people. You never know when you might need those particular resources. Uh, I met a gentleman who was at one of my presentations at Chaos Computer Club, and I had to call him up the first week I was at Aramco to ask for some very, very specific advice because of the type of role that he had been in for the U.S. military. So you never know when you might need to uh, grab knowledge that you wouldn't get off of a bookshelf or at a college. Suddenly you know somebody who's experienced in this very niche area and that's one of the great things about going to conferences, presenting, or just attending, is LobbyCon, doing networking. Well, and, and that's a little bit how we met, um, you know, through for friends of friends and then a little bit of LobbyCon. What, I, I know as we were talking prior to, to this conversation, you mentioned you, in 2020 you're, you have a, a new talk you're, you're coming out with, Princess yes. to Pawn Star. Do you want to you want to give us any sort of insights into what you might be working uh, with on on that talk? And yes, uh, so I, I'm sure that's like a 45 minute talk, and, <laughs> and we have about three. You're correct. <laughs> so. Um, the talk idea came out of a conference panel I was on where it was a women's panel or panel about women, and one particular panelist was a, a man, and he described how his daughter would never enter the field because she wanted to just be a princess. And I was the last person on the panel, and I said, well, that's very interesting because I was Miss Preteen Maryland. And I have my own tiaras, and yet here I am, a cyber warfare expert. And one of the things I wanted to do with the talk, uh, Princess to Pwn Stars described that you can start out anywhere and you can end up exactly at this particular point or a point that is more suited for you. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or you wear a tiara in private or in public. Uh, anyone can, if they have enough passion and talent and skill, uh, they can do things in digital security. Another aspect of this is the fact that we do have a shortage of defenders around the world. And to me, it's one of these uh, Rosie the Riveter moments where uh, here we do not have enough of one particular type of human being to do this. All of us need to start getting into this particular field because uh, basically digital bombs are zooming at us at the speed of light. And that's what we need to be concerned with. And it's everyone's concern. I quite like the modern world. So that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. Is it fair to say that um, if you weren't doing this, you'd be doing this? <laughs> Probably, yes. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, we just have uh, a few short moments left. Uh, I, I have certainly more questions, um, but is is there anything that you 
else would you like to talk about or other advice that you'd have for, for those that were wanting to get into to cyber? Well, one of the other uh, talks or panels that we're going to be doing next year is myself and two retired Army colonels, uh, one of which set up the U.S. Army uh, cyber career field. And we want to discuss transitioning uh, for veterans because uh, just because uh, you might be in a field that isn't easily transferable in the civilian world, uh, using your um, various military training, it is a very good way to enter into the cyber career field. Uh, You can typically uh, keep a bit calmer and chaos. Uh, You know how to triage things very quickly. Uh, You know how to classify things in certain ways, and you understand what uh, threats are. And uh, so we're going to be discussing that uh, starting on a panel for OWASP AppSec California in January. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for your time today. It was fascinating. You're an inspiring cybersecurity expert. It was our privilege to have you here today. Well, thank you so much, Olga, and thank you so much, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks for making time. I know this was a busy, a busy trip for you while you're here in the states. You have a number of people you're trying to meet, and uh, so appreciate you carving out some time to, to talk with us today. Absolutely, couldn't think of anything else I'd want to do on a Friday afternoon. Thank you for tuning in to the Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at careercentralonline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.